Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. For today's episode, we're excited to be partnering with SaneBox. As an entrepreneur or industry professional, we're also inundated with email now that it's no longer about responding to everything. It's about responding only to the important things, the messages that truly matter. And that's where SaneBox comes in. As messages flow in, SaneBox does the triage for you, sifting only the important emails in your inbox and directing all the other distracting stuff into your Sane Later folder. It also has nifty features like the Sane Black Hole, where you can drag messages from senders you never want to hear from again, and Sane Reminders to ping you if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. Best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email client or phone, anywhere you check your email. They're also rated at 9.4 out of 10 stars based on over 500 reviews on Trustpilot. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com A-H-N today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash A-H-N. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Dan Matthews. Dan is a senior creative producer living in Los Angeles, California. He's the managing partner at International Secret Agents, a creative consulting company focusing on helping brands and companies resonate with Asian American Pacific Islander audiences more authentically through content, activations, and talent. He has over 12 years of experience producing for companies like Moet Hennessy, CJ Foods, AT&T, and more. He is also behind producing some of the first ever AAPI large-scale concerts with tens of thousands of audience members coming to see acts like Jay Park, Mike Shinoda, Aquafina, and more. Dan is also an indie rap artist that is based in Los Angeles. He's overwhelmed most of the time and writes mostly about that. His new album, Me Also Me, is currently out on all streaming platforms. Please stream him. It'll make his mom happy. Dan, welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm here. Let's go. Dan is the man. Like, if you would ask anyone in LA if they know Dan, they're probably... Like, no, Dan. Dan's that famous, right? <laughs> I say that to everybody. It's not true. You, <laughs> you guys talk to so many really cool individuals, and I'm sure there's no. everybody's very well interconnected. We have, we have audio proof, okay? Like, you don't say this to everyone. You say it to you, Dan. <laughs> All right. Let's hop right into it, man. Like, like, tell us about yourself. Like, I know you have a very insightful, deep childhood, and we want to hear all about it. Yeah. I live in LA. I'm from Southern California. I went to school in San Diego, grew up in Ventura County. I'm very much Southern California. Part of my background is I'm adopted, Korean adoptee, was born in Korea, came out to America when I was eight months old and was raised by a wonderful white family in Ventura County. I got really lucky that I just had such an amazing family and really good upbringing. And I think that really, I think, pushed me to doing the stuff that I'm doing now. They're very supportive of my identity and me just kind of being me and going into the careers that I wanted to go into and supporting me and my choices, even even when it looked like I was really making bad choices. Because who would have known that YouTube or any of that stuff would have been a thing back in 2003 
and uh, before it all had become. So I got very lucky with all of that. And I'm just very grateful to still be working in a creative industry and to be meeting new, incredible people and to seeing the, the industry continue to evolve. So wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for sharing that, Dan. I mean, that's amazing to hear that you had such an amazing childhood. I feel like a lot of the people that we bring onto this podcast, you know, they grow up in certain situations as Asians, you know, you know, a lot of us, we grow up kind of like figuring out our identity, figuring out who we are in terms of like our culture, our heritage, but it's just refreshing to hear you say, you know, th- things like that, that you you grew up in a very, very you know loving family and you really had it really good for yourself. Obviously, we've known you for a long time and you have been such an incredible like force of energy ever since we've met you. And we've heard a lot about your personal journey, right, as an adoptee, as a, you know, a Korean adoptee. And there was this documentary that you had put out, and I believe it was called AKA Soul, in which you brought your adoptive mother to meet your birth mother face to face. And that that whole documentary pretty much was so monumental and hit the heartstrings of so many in the adoptee community. I want to know like what kind of brought you to come to this you know, idea and thought that you wanted to do something like this and, and how did it you know, affect you personally? Yeah, actually, I think that ties really into what I had originally started talking about just my life growing up in Southern California. I think that being adopted is a good natural source of tension, meaning that you're naturally somebody that's in between two different worlds. You're Asian, you're raised in a non-Asian environment, you're existing in a place where you kind of have to figure stuff out on your own. And I often find that a lot of really great things, not everything, but like I often find that a lot of really great things come out of great tension when you have to really, I think, figure it out on your own or really have to be in a position where you're not comfortable. So I do credit a lot of the struggle that I had to go through to being where I'm currently at with my own music and the things that I'm currently doing. And I think a lot of that is definitely tied to adoption and trying to just have to f- kind of figure everything out versus if I had maybe grown up in a situation where I was I was still in Korea and I was around Korean people all the time that maybe in a situation like that, obviously there's benefits and there's, there's negatives, but maybe I would have been in more of a situation where I just felt more at peace with things. And I think that being adopted came with its own challenges, but also a lot of its own pros. And then, yeah, my, my adoptee story Again, a lot of adoptees do go through so many different things that ultimately challenge them. Some adoptees really grow up in really difficult situations. And I I think that I just got very lucky that I was adopted into a family that was really, really loving and supported me. And I grew up in Southern California where there was a lot of diversity and a lot of access to people and, and food and ideas that maybe I wouldn't have got if I didn't grow up in Southern California. So I feel very fortunate for that. And I was able to make a lot of really great friends in high school and then in college that helped support my identity as an Asian American too. So just a lot of really great people, a lot of, a lot of like, we're all about just building community, a lot of really great community to help me get to where I'm currently at. Yeah. And that's what you love most about you, Dan, is your positive energy, right? Every time you talk, this radiates positivity, but I do want to hop into like 15 year old Dan, right? As you mentioned, you know, you're dealing with some struggles and challenges. What were some of the struggles and challenges that you were faced with you're much younger and you know for me i feel like for every single struggle you're right it does provide opportunity to learn and grow and become the person you are today right i want to hear what the mindset of like teenage dan was like 
Just really angsty. I think there's probably just a lot of most of it, just stupid teenage stuff that we all go through. But I think was maybe heightened by the fact that I was also dealing with not feeling completely myself because I was adopted. But I think just a lot of my own challenges were just just being in an angsty situation. I don't think I look I look back on it now. I'm just like a very real person. And I'm super honest with myself that a lot of the challenges that the people had to go through, I, I, I don't think that I really had to go through. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that I had a family that was able to support me and put me through college. And um, those are things that not a lot of people really have access to be able to do. So it's really hard for me to talk about being challenged in the, the way that a lot of people have been challenged because there's a lot more hardships and people that have been through a lot more difficult things than I have that ultimately led them into the direction of their lives that they're currently in. I hear so many inspiring stories of people that grew up in in poverty or they grew up with an abusive family or grew up in situations where they were really between different locations. They they grew up in one city one one year, grew up in another city the next year. And I'm sure that there's even people that are on your minds. Well, when I like I say that, that you could probably identify as like, oh, I know people that went through that. So it is really tough for me to say that I had to really go through a lot. I, I just feel very fortunate that I was in a situation that I, I had a pretty average American childhood, just minus the fact that I wasn't truly American or truly Asian. No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, you're Asian American, right? And I feel like that's a new challenge that a lot of us go through is like, are we more American or are we more Asian? Because even for us that, you know, obviously aren't in adopted situations, still feel very similarly. Like, what are we? Because I feel like we're a new group. And I feel like that subgroup makes it hard for us to connect with both sides because it's a lot of factors in, in the states and other countries that make us feel like outsiders, right? And we'll talk about that. We probably won't talk about it on this podcast, but to me, I, I mean, I understand that this is my very limited understanding of Ventura County. It to me is very, very non-Asian, <laughs> more Caucasian. And, you know, I would imagine that most of your friends growing up were non-Asian, right? So I'm kind of curious, like, what was that turning point for you to be like, I'm Asian American? I think that, you know, it's really hard to think Asian school when you're not surrounded by a lot of Asian culture, especially family. But I'm kind of curious to hear, like, what was the turning point for you where you're like, you know what? I'm really proud to be like Asian American and I'm Dan Matthews. And this is what makes it unique. You know what? Really quick question. Where did you guys grow up? Are you guys from California or what what part of the U.S. were you guys from? California, both of us. Maggie grew up in San Francisco Sunset which is extremely Asian. And I grew up in San Gilbert Valley. As you know, it's also like very Asian. I think we had like three white people in my high school. Got yeah. it. I think I knew that. Okay. Yeah, that you growing up in, in the SGV sounds really familiar. Then Maggie, yeah, you growing up in the Bay. So yeah. California people in general, like we're all one big California bubble. But yeah, no, I mean, there's different like places in my life where I felt more Asian or less Asian. I think that when I was younger, what, what are the things that I... I, I, I can share that maybe was something that was pretty unique to my experience, just as being maybe one of the few Asians at my school, was I really did lean into being the token Asian person. I think that and this is something that I'm going to try to word this correctly, but it, it's something you hear from a lot of comedians. Like a lot of comedians will say that they were forced to be comedians. They they used whatever level of skill set they had when they were younger. And when people made fun of them, they would lean into that one, their, their ability to be able to make people laugh. And not that I was, I'm, I'm not a comedian, but 
I think that growing up, you just want to be accepted by people. And for me, me being Asian was something that made me a little bit different and that I could lean into being Asian to make people be, to make people laugh, which sounds really absurd. And, and not that I would ever do anything that was like racist, but me just leaning into the fact that I was the token Asian person when I was growing up was something that I think that I did in order to be able to survive. It, it gave me a an entry point into other people wanting to accept me. And I think that looking back on it now, of course, you, that would never be the advice for any young Asian people growing up. Like I would never tell any like young Asian Americans to do that. But when you're a kid and that's the only thing that you know, and you don't have Asian parents that are telling you, oh, you don't, you don't need to play into their games. That was something that I probably did. And so during times like that, it probably made me feel a little bit more Asian, but but also less Asian because I was like playing into this stereotype of like what people thought it meant to be Asian. And then growing up, I learned to get out of that. In college is when I really felt Asian. I got way more connected with the adoptee community. I started meeting other Korean adoptees too. And then I was involved in the Asian students organization at my college and got really involved in that. And I think through that experience, it made me feel a lot more tied to my Asian culture and it made me feel just more like proud of being Asian American. And I think what's cool about our community and the things that we're experiencing is that like everything's still happening. We're living through history all the time. All communities are living through history, but specifically for Asian Americans, a lot of the stuff is like very brand new to us. Our representation in media, seeing other people that are doing cool stuff, Asian American brands, like all of this stuff is so brand new. We're at like a, another pinnacle time of being Asian American. And I, I think it's, it's amazing to be able just to be able to experience it as an adult. So it's, it, we're just in a, a very interesting period that it makes me feel very proud of being Asian American. That's amazing. And I think you bring up a lot of great points there, Dan. I feel like a lot of us as Asians, especially when we were younger, we we just don't know any better. We like we'll make jokes about, you know, our race and stuff. And sometimes we do it because we want to make light of the conversation. Right. But it's just because we were younger and we didn't know any better. But sometimes it is those little comments that, you know, start small and then they turn into something big. So I'm kind of glad that you kind of got out of that. But that just goes to show that, like, we're all growing and learning every single day. And you mentioned, you know, learning about and like growing close with your community, just getting getting more involved with the adopted community, getting more involved with the Asian community. You're so involved in the community. And that's kind of how like Brian and I met you too in the beginning. Like we always saw this guy on social media named Dan Matthews and he would and always he show us randomly one day. He was like, <laughs> let's chat. I'm like, oh Dan yeah. Matthews DM us. Yeah, wait. I, do, <laughs> I, I remember yeah, I remember our first conversation. It wasn't because there was a project that we were working on. It, it really was like, I, I think that I had found you through other friends that were doing cool stuff with you. And I was like, oh, these guys are doing cool stuff. Let's chat. So I, yeah. was, very, I was very interested. Yeah. I think, I think Brian said the same thing too. He was like, oh, this, this guy, Dan, he's like always on Instagram. I always see him on Instagram. Like we got to meet this guy. Like I know. he's like a really How cool guy. was I on Instagram? I was on a Instagram. You were living on Instagram, bro. You had you a whole everyone, island you were, there. You were looking at everyone's <laughs> pictures. We were just like, who is this guy? We got to meet him. <laughs> but yeah, we were just, we just knew like you were so involved with the community. And that was something that was very meaningful to us. You know, like us starting out Asian Hustle Network, obviously community had a very, you know, profound meaning to us. And I want to know, like, what really compels you to be so involved in the community and just continuing to give back all the time? Because we know, like, Dan, you, you always give back to the community and you're just so involved. So I want to know, like, what is your driving factor of like being so involved and encouraging others to be so involved as well? 
There's two parts of that. The first part is that it's probably still deeply connected to what I was talking about before, where I think not being Asian most of my life made me want to be really connected to my Asian American identity and community and feeling like I belong to something. And so I think that we, again, as human beings, just want to be connected to others. We want to feel like that we're a part of this community. We want to feel like that we're doing things of value for other people in our community it just makes you feel more connected and more close to one another and makes you feel like you've got a foundation. And I think that for me, I really leaned into that and got very lucky that I was just able to make a lot of really good friends in the community when they were first starting off. And I think that sometimes it can sound so shallow of like, oh, you're just out there networking or you're just out there meeting people. What what really is the relationship here? But I, I would argue that I think that a lot of the people that I've met have become really good friends of mine. And I've really appreciated the conversations. And I think the one thing that I really try to do is I try to like really build it deeper than just a one-off conversation with the people that I'm meeting. I really want to know who they are and like what the why is of why they do the things that they're doing. And obviously that's not possible for everybody. You can't get to know everybody. But I think that I've gotten to know a lot of really amazing people in the community that happen to be also connected to some really amazing people in the community. And that's allowed me to get deeper and deeper into it and just continue to build relationships. And I felt very, yeah, very lucky. The second part of that though, is more of a shallow reason, which is in something that I think I need to go to therapy for. And it might be something that also uh, people out there that are getting involved or it's just this idea of like, I don't know what I am if I'm not providing value sometimes. I think that my value and me, my own self-importance and my own ability to feel like that I'm, I'm worth anything to anybody is connected to like just staying involved. And sometimes I need to put myself in check and realize that it's cool, man. Like th- things are going to happen with or without you and you need to be happy with whatever that is. And I think that's really... I think leaning more into that those that way of thinking has actually helped me out a lot and just made me more at peace with this idea of like, I, I enjoy, I want to be a part of the community, but I want to most importantly make sure the things that I'm doing are of value and that I'm actually getting involved in the right things versus just spreading myself too thin too. So I think there was a moment where I was like, I, I think that I'm like, maybe spreading myself way too thin. And a lot of this is just heightened by my own self value of like, Oh, I need to be providing value for everybody. But now I'm in a much better place with that. I've got really close connections with the people that I'm around. I really enjoy the conversations that we've had. Uh, and I, I've really enjoyed that a lot of the stuff that I've been able to do with people has been sustainable. It's not just a one-off thing. It's, it continues to help grow that relationship. So uh, so there's two elements of it. Uh, one, one that's tied directly to like the identity and feeling not Asian enough. And this other need that is a very human need of, oh, what am I worth to this person if I'm not doing anything for them? And so me wanting to do more has, uh, I think, stemmed from that feeling. But now I've, I've, gotten, I've gotten in check and I'm going to much better place. And I'm, I'm happy with the things that I'm doing. And I'm enjoying the people that I'm meeting and really, truly building better connections, relationships. Dan, thank you so much for being so vulnerable to us in that moment. You know, a lot of people can't really talk about those things, right? Because you're literally, you're literally telling us like how you tick. And, you know, again, I want to make it clear that you're always belong with us, Dan. You don't have to think you have to provide us value. We're always going to grab lunch. We're always going to talk about stupid things. Right. And I just want to make that clear, right? There's, regardless of, we just want you to be who you are, right? At the core is that you're a cool guy, like very talented musician. And, you know, again, like, thank you for speaking out about mental health too, because I know you mentioned briefly about finding a therapist, like, thank you for for destigmatizing that as well. So, so many nuances, that, so many good nuggets that you just dropped. I'm just like, man, like, 
that's really good for all of us to hear. Right. Thank you. I, I think, yeah, the more, do you guys do therapy? I do. Maggie, Maggie does. And yeah. we have a, uh, we're picking up a couple's therapists between us two too. Nice. So. No, that's wonderful. I, I, I really, it's come up a lot more in the last, of course, the last two years with the pandemic and everything, but more of the conversation around just this idea of needing to be able to talk to other people that aren't your friends about stuff. I think it's extremely important. There's friends in my life that I'm, I sometimes think to myself, Oh, I really wish that I could just talk to them about like the things on my mind, but sometimes it's better for the friendship. If you don't like you, you should be able to feel you should be able to feel like you're able to like talk to your friends because they're your friends. You want to be able to explain stuff to them, but there, there really is, I think room for a professional person to be able to be there. that isn't going to be inundated by the things that you think that you're saying to them. So yeah, the more and more that we can talk about it and just finding other people to talk to very important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my friends can't know how crazy I really am. No, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, my therapist is the same thing. My, my therapist is always like, don't talk to your friends about it. Just talk to me because your friends, you know, they're not the right people to talk to. I mean, like they're going to be listening, but at the same time, it's not their job for, for them to sit there and listen to you vent. So highly, highly recommend it. I feel like especially, you know, in, in our age, like 30s, around 30, well, I'm not going to age myself, but we're going through so many changes, right? And we're, you know, in the age where a lot of people are getting married, having kids, and there's just a lot of changes. And, you know, we, I think, especially in the Asian community, mental health is so stigmatized. Like we have to find a way to, you know, break that stigma. And I'm so glad that you brought that up, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Extremely important. The more honest you can be with yourself, the better. Just be honest with yourself. Absolutely. And thank you so much for being honest with us and our audience today. And Dan, we know that you're a very talented musician and we're so sad we missed your concert in LA, but walk it, like, tell us that story. How'd you get started and how'd you realize this was a passion that you wanted to, to do? And I want you to be completely honest with us too. Did you start because you thought it was cool? Did you start, or did you start because you thought there was a cute girl at school? Like, <laughs> I want to hear the origin story. Probably started doing it because... I wanted some creative outlet, but I couldn't dance. I wasn't good at sports. I couldn't like sing, sing, but I could kind of rap. And like at that time when we were growing up, I think maybe collectively we're all similar, like millennial generation that that's really when like rap rock was really like big. And I hate to say that my, my references are like corn and Limp biscuit and like rock rap groups, but that's what we were listening to on the radio. Like that's what was on MTV. And so if it wasn't the pop stuff, if it wasn't like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, cause I wasn't going to be able to do any of that, that my other outlet was more of the aggressive rock rap stuff. So I thought it was kind of cool. And all of pop culture was telling me was kind of cool. And I, I noticed that like, I really enjoyed being able to express myself again. I'm very angsty. And so the angst, like the, the, the angst stuff came out. So it started with that. I started writing and then I wasn't very good at all. It wasn't like I was a natural t- talent at all. You just have to like train and keep on getting better at it. But I realized that the more and more that I did it, the better I got. And I, I stuck with it and thank God I did because it's one of the best decisions I've ever made. And for me to be able to say that I've, I've got songs that people have listened to. And when I, I see even one person talk about a song I wrote, they're like, that means so much because there are words that I've been able to put out there in the world that I feel like that maybe I'm the only one thinking about, but ultimately somebody's able to find solace in it. So that's amazing. 
That's amazing. I mean, just knowing that, you know, you had were, were actually aware that you weren't that good in the beginning, but you practice up to the point where you got better and better. That is amazing. It just goes to show like the more practice and, and how, you know, hard work you put in, the more progress you get. How many times do you sing in the shower? Is that like every day? <laughs> You're not singing Aww. in the shower. What are you thinking about? Exactly. Yeah, it's good practice work. time. Yeah, that's true. I sing in the shower too. <laughs> yeah, don't yeah it's, it. it's, it's a fun hobby. I, I like watch music a lot. I'm really into music. I'm very interested in like the up and coming artists, especially in the Asian community. They're doing, doing hip hop or in the alternative side. So it's, it's a very, just, it's so much fun. Yeah. Can you talk about like your creative process of coming up with songs? Like what do you normally find inspiration from? And like, how does the idea of a song, like a new song come about? And then like, what do you do when you're writing? Like, how does that process work? Like, does it just free flow in your mind or do you have to like actually sit down in a certain place and actually be in like a certain setting? Like, what is it like for you? How do you strike your emotion? I'm kind of curious too. Sorry to add on to Maggie's question. Yeah, no, these are great questions. To tie this into your audience and the, the purpose of your podcast, I actually think that maybe what I'll start off by saying is that I have a really great balance between the music stuff and the professional stuff. And there's probably a lot of your listeners and other people that have been on your podcast that have other creative outlets, people that run a business and that also paint on the side, or maybe they're amazing pianists or like, like they design shoes or whatever, like on the side. And I think that's incredible because you need to work. I think both sides of your brain and both sides of the brain. Ultimately, you've got two sides of your brain. They need to support one another. So the more creative you can be, uh, in one area, the better it's going to make you in another area and the happier it's going to make you be because you need to be testing and, and training both sides of those brain all the time. I don't know any of the science behind that. Like there's probably I, I'm just basing that off of what I believe to be true, but it sounds very true. So for me, I think that I, yeah, I, I get very lucky that I'm able to like practice both sides of this, this, this part of my brain and that I've got a, a job and I'm in a place where I can, I can do both of those things at once. The inspiration probably just comes out of like nowhere. I, I think that, the, but that's also the same for a lot of people. Sometimes you're just going to be like sitting in your car and you'll, you'll hear or think about something that'll lead to a cool thought and that'll lead to a song. So a lot of the inspiration that I've got honestly just comes from random places and random times. There's, there's no system or thing that I have in place to like get inspiration. Uh, there's nothing that I've done to be able to like force it. In fact, when I force it, it's usually the worst time that I get inspiration. So it kind of just needs to come to me. But when it does, I get I get into a, a zone where I know that I need to like take advantage of that inspiration. And then I usually if I'm driving, I'll pull over to the side of the road and like and like write stuff down. If I'm at my computer working, I'll switch over to another workstation to like write some other stuff. And so I definitely make sure that when I'm in that that inspirational zone that I feed it and treat it appropriately. Yeah, that's amazing. Brian and I are like rarely ever like very creative people. We so. can't dance. We can't sing. Our cast is very creative. This is like your, this this is what you guys as, have set up. Like the the hustle network is creative. You know what I mean? This is as creative as it gets. Right? I mean, like, musically creative. <laughs> so it's just amazing hearing you kind of talk about your your thought process and creative process like that. Do you have like a moment in time where you were performing and? Yeah, let's talk about that. Like it was just a moment where you were like, wow, this is what I live for. Like, this is why I do what I do. Like, can you describe one of your best and most favorite moments while you were performing? Or, or talk about like the preparation events, right? Like walking on stage, feeling the intensity, the heat, the light, the alcohol, I don't know, whatever you <laughs> feel on stage. It, it, it feels really good. Everybody has that sweet spot where they feel euphoric in, in what their abilities are, where they're like, oh, 
this is something that I can do that not other people can do. And they're just like, I'm taking care of it. And there's, it happens to me every single time I perform. When I'm about ready to get on stage in the 30 minutes before it happens, I get the bubbles, I get the butterflies and it feels so good. It makes you feel alive because it makes you feel scared and happy and joyous and excited all at one time. And that's something that's so hard to achieve with any other part of my life. And so I feel very lucky by that feeling. And I want to like bottle that feeling up and give it to everybody because everybody needs to feel that way at some point. But for me, I, and yeah, I don't know. It's, I, I, I wish I could tell you about like an individual time, but it happens every single time. I get so excited when I have the chance to be able to do that because I feel very much in my zone and it makes me feel like that I'm doing something that not a lot of other people can do. So I feel very special. I just did a release concert. It was like four weeks ago, streamed that album. It was in celebration of the new album that I put out, but I was really just very thankful to be able to feel that way in front of a lot of peers and people that came out to support. And the, I was, I performed for like 45 minutes and just every moment just felt like the best time ever. I just did just the most amazing feeling. I love it. I love it. I wish you were there. Like every time we talk about it, like, ah, oh, wish you were there. We'll make, make it happen. Make it happen. We'll make it happen next time for sure. I'm kind of curious too. Like, how do you deal like all your fans on like when you ever see like people that you know in this in like the crowd and cheering you on, and it's like, does it make you extra nervous? Does it make you extra excited? Like if people come out to you extra after, excited. yeah, no, just extra excited. It's so cool to just have people that might relate or just enjoy the thing that you're putting out, and sometimes. It, especially at the beginning, I had no idea what I was putting out. People enjoy it, but I like, I like the most importantly, I like my own music. I think it's worth it to me. Even if nobody listened to the stuff that I made, I think it's, I I think it's good. And so I feel very lucky because of that. And I'm going to continue to feel lucky and put out fun music and just, just enjoy the experience. I love that, Dan. And I want to uh, kind of take it to the other side. Cause like Ricky's talked about you performing at concerts and like, you know, these big stages. What about the studio? Like, how do you, how do you even get into the music business? Right. Like, how do you find a studio? How do you find the right gear? Like how much preparation goes into not just songwriting, but inspiration, but informing, but like the technical things. Right. Like I'm kind of curious, like, because when I'm, all right, I'll, I'll be completely honest. Even though I can't sing, at one point I thought about it and I looked into all the equipment. I was like, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> you know? So I want to hear from your experience what that was like. You know, the best thing that applies to everything that we're doing is you find other good people that know better than you and that are smarter than you and all of those things. So I think that I've just gotten lucky in the same way that you guys find other cool people that are doing inspirational things that are entrepreneurs. You, f- you find people in different industries than you that know something that you don't know and they teach you whatever that thing is. So I found other uh, songwriters, people that are, that are in the industry and they've supported me and given, given me advice. I found people that are good audio engineers. And so I generally like work with them a lot. And then the people that produced my last album, this guy named Big Banana and, and Chucky Kim, are just amazing individuals. And once you find people that really get you, you want to work with them all the time. So I've worked with Chucky and Big Banana quite a bit, and uh, they just understand the type of music that I like putting out. That's so awesome. like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to like record myself. <laughs> I've got zero idea how any of that stuff works. And you would expect me to maybe pick that up by now, but I, I don't. And, but I think it's totally fine. I'd rather work with people that can make me a lot better than I, I can ever make myself. And that's a classic, classic example. If you want it bad enough, you make it happen, right? You let yeah. nothing stop you. And it's like, you know, if, for most people, I include myself, I didn't want it bad enough. So I'm like, ah, I don't know where to start. So I give up already. Right. But you, you found, you knew, you knew what you want to do and you found a way to get there. So that's amazing to hear Dan. 
Yeah. I, get, I just feel very lucky. Yeah. yeah. I mean, for a creative and like an artist, you know, I know there's a lot of artists that, you know, unfortunately they, they struggle, you know, financially. And then there are artists that like really make it really big. Right. But most of the time when they're just starting out, you know, it's really, really hard. Did you have to go through any like hard times like that? And like, if so, how did you overcome that mentally and emotionally? And what were your family's thoughts on it too? Like, were they very supportive throughout the whole process? I think that I benefited. I'm not going to make it seem like that I was in a position where I was just doing music and I needed to do X or Y or Z to survive. I, I got lucky again that I was able to get a job after college and that helped support my musical stuff. And they ultimately balance each other out. I never made money off of music and I still don't make any money off of music because nobody buys songs anymore. And uh, being an independent musician is like a big suck of money. If, in fact, I'm losing money on, on music. But if cr- creatively, it's very inspiring to me and I love doing it. And so it's always been worth it for me to put my money into it. I I think maybe I've like maybe netted even and it's been, but every single time that I put something out, it's like just to create a project in the same way that a director will put out a short film. Somebody will make something you you make a a painting that probably took you a lot of time and effort and money for the pain, the supplies. But if you're able to get one person to look at and they enjoy it, that's, that's totally worth the investment. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that just goes to show how much you love music and how passionate you are about it. And, you know, we're going to share with all of our audience to stream you on Spotify or wherever you are. So let's believe that. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'd love to kind of switch gears and talk about your work with international secret agents as well. I think Asian Hustle Network has, you know, definitely collaborated with you on a lot of different projects. And we've gotten really close to you in the last couple of years since, you know, we, knew you were on International Secret Agents. Obviously, you have done such incredible work at ISA. What has been, you know, your most proudest moment at ISA and like what type of work do you do there? ISA has been a dream come true. I moved up to LA for ISA. A lot of my closest friends have been because of ISA. And so I I owe so much to the International Secret Agents uh, community and the people that have become my really close friends as well as my business partners. ISA, for those that don't know of it, it was the very, if not the very first, one of the very first opportunities for a digital people to do offline concerts back in 2007. Wong Fu Productions and Far East Movement came together and then put on a concert and brought on some other amazing Asian American digital artists to like be a part of it. And they ended up blowing up. It became some of the first opportunities for young Asian Americans to see themselves on stage. I'm not going to pretend like we're the first, like shout out to collaboration, shout out to like so many other organizations that came before that were doing shows before that. But I say probably the first digital concert series. And so really awesome uh, opportunity for these young digital artists to come on stage. David Choi, Kev Jamba, everybody that was making a name for themselves, uh, graced the ISA stage. There was like this big Asian bubble that was happening because not only was digital happening, America's Best Dance Crew was really big. Kinjas, Jabberwockies, all of those crews like were, were blowing up. And so it was, yeah, just a really fun like concert series. And then that that eventually adapted into a uh, online video channel and then which eventually adapted into me just being more on the consulting producing side. And so it's been a really wonderful place for myself to have been. I've been able to learn so much. I've learned so much and like met so many interesting people and I'm just very grateful to the ISA experience. 
Wow. That is amazing. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't even know how much we can thank you for, you know, all the connections that you have made us, Dan. And you're like, this goes back to original point. You continue to give back, but definitely make sure that you're giving back to yourself as well. <laughs> thank you. But yeah, yeah. Shout out Wong Fu Far East Movement. They set up ISA. They founded the company. They've done the, they've set the foundation for all of us digital people, what we're currently doing now. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think you give yourself too little credit. You've done incredible work, Dan. And yeah, you, you. you should I, definitely I, I stay be active. proud of that. From now on, we want, every time we see you, we just want you to take more credit. Right? Every time we see you, like outside of podcast, like, Dan, you're the man, right? That's all you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. More uh, Dan self love. Yep. Yep, for sure. So, Dan, so we have one final question for you. And that question is, I want to, I want to take it back to self-care, right? If, if you can give one advice to someone that is, you know, trying to take better care of their mental health and their time management and setting boundaries, what would the advice be? Man, there's not, there's not like one answer, but it's a hard me, question. It's Sorry. a really hard question. Cause I think that people just need to know their own boundaries. Maybe, maybe that's my advice. Just know your own boundaries. Understand that everybody is so different and built different. Of course, there's going to be people that can do more than you. Of course, there's going to be people that will like literally stay up three nights in a row working on a project, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're better or worse than you. It just means that they have a different way of getting to whatever that goal is. So don't underestimate your own abilities. If you feel like you're doing it right, keep on doing whatever you're doing and just set your own boundaries. Love it. That is a simple but very effective advice. So thank you so much for sharing that, Dan. And where can our listeners find out more about you online? Please follow me, Dan, a.k.a. Dan, D-A-N, a.k.a. Dan, on Instagram, all the social medias. That's where my music's at on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, all of the platforms. Please check that out. And thank you so much for supporting. I appreciate the Hustle Network. And it's very nice to be on one of these podcasts. I'm, it's, it's For your listeners, it's taken me like literally a year to get on one of these. I keep on being a bad person and canceling. Uh, <laughs> but they've been very gracious to want to continue to like have me back on so thank you maggie and brian for what y'all doing and thank you guys for bringing together community too Appreciate oh my gosh that. thank you yeah it was awesome hearing your story today dan so thank you so much for being on thank our show you, dan thank you hey guys we hope you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the show we would like to get to the top 10 on itunes so be sure to leave us a five-star review we release an episode every single wednesday so stay tuned thank you guys so much